So the reason that when you guys go by fields, if you see a, are you chewing while we're doing this? I mean, um, Welcome to the November 15th edition of Custom Harvest Hype, the number one podcast for the custom harvest industry. Totally made that up, but we're going with it. I'm Mandy. I'm the operations manager for U.S. Custom Harvesters. U.S. Custom Harvesters is a national organization. We've been an organization since 1983, and we're now headquartered out of South Central Kansas. So I've got a really exciting episode for y'all. We are going to chat with a couple cotton harvesters. We've always had grain harvesters as part of our organization, and then we added forage members, I want to say around the early 2000s. And in the past couple years, we've really made it a goal to try to add some cotton harvesters to our organization, as we feel we're all kind of fighting the same fights as far as H2A regulations, CDL regulations, and so much more. And the organization just wants to be helpful to all the custom harvesters out there. So we have members that are harvesters, obviously. And then we also have associate members, which are businesses that provide products and services for custom harvesters. If you want to find out more about us, just search U.S. Custom Harvesters on any social media site or go to USCHI.com. So let's get started with our first interview. All right, guys, we have our first guest right now, and he is actually here with me in the office if you're watching on YouTube. So first guest, go ahead and introduce yourself. Jeff Pricer from Cunningham, Kansas. And you harvest? Wheat, corn, soybeans, milo, cotton. Okay, and cotton strip or pick? Stripped. Okay, so Cunningham is in southern Kansas. How did you get started with your grain harvesting part? My parents harvested and doing it ever since I was a baby, basically. So where did you guys go on your truck when you grain harvested? In the early days, Texas and then like the seventies, dad would go out to Lake in Kansas and cut corn. We went just from Texas to North Dakota. Every state in between grain harvest. Did you okay with wheat and then a couple falls you stayed up north? Just for wheat up there. And then in some falls, we'd go to Caldwell, Kansas and cut Milo and stuff like that on the fall. And then back home in the fall. You're a member of U.S. Custom Harvesters, a lifetime member. Jeff is as of last year. And your dad is also a member. How does Pricer Farms and Harvesting currently operate? Dad just retired this year. Me and my brother and hired man. We farm mostly irrigated cotton, corn, beans, some milo, wheat. We do custom around home, cotton, corn, wheat. Biggest part would be custom cotton. You guys are probably wondering how I know so much about Jeff. Jeff is my brother. I suckered him in, suckered him into coming here. All right. So we, the, the point of this podcast guys, obviously is like I said before, we want to, I wanted to focus on cotton and how I know this is a custom harvesting podcast, but I kind of want to all the listeners and viewers on YouTube to understand the whole process. So like how the crop's planted, how it's taken care of and all the way up to harvest and then even to the gin and where it goes after that. So as far as Southern Kansas, when do we plant the crop? How do we take care of it? Take them through basically a whole year of how cotton works. Around here, you got to wait, you know, we're pretty far north for cotton. So you got to wait till usually your temperature is around 57, 60 degrees, your soil temperature. We're about 40 minutes north of the border. Yeah. 40 minutes north of the Oklahoma border. Yeah. Is about where we're from. So what time of year? What are you, April, May? We're looking at probably around May 10th, depending on the weather. You know, usually plant then. Cotton don't like a whole lot of moisture. We'll plant it then. Usually right after we plant it, two weeks later or so, we got to spray for thrips, which are little tiny white bugs you can barely see underneath the leaf. We got to spray for that. Do you strip till before? Yeah, we strip till. A lot of people know till, conventional till. It, it just depends on what you want to do. Most of ours is irrigated. We do plant a lot of dry land too, though, because cotton can handle the heat in some drought. Unlike this year and last year, it was too much drought. Irrigated, you've got a pixit, which is a growth stimulant. You don't want the cotton plant to get too tall. You want it to concentrate on putting bowls on. So in between the nodes, you don't want the nodes, okay, the branches to get too far apart. So you put growth stimulant on it. 
to keep the plant down so it concentrates on putting more bowls on. You put that on what time of year? But we put it on like it depends on how much moisture like the dry land. You know, if we get a lot of range, you know, we'll hit it three, four times a year. You get it, you know, usually three, four times a year or more, just depending on the weather. You darn sure want to keep the weeds out of it because strippers do not like weeds. Of course, it's all Roundup ready, most of it. You've got pretty much kind of two kinds of cotton. you got Enlist cotton, like phytogen and stuff, to where you can spray Enlist on it. And they came out with that because we got a lot of problems with 2,4-D and uh, pastures and stuff, spraying the grass. People and, spraying ditches. Yes. And it doesn't hurt it as much. It don't hurt it really hardly at all. Because on conventional cotton, it will kill it. Just flat kill it. So you got Enlist cotton. And then you got dicamba we plant, and you can spray dicamba on it, and usually Liberty and stuff like that. And round up on both. I thought they outlawed dicamba. No, you, can, you just can't spray that. Just depends on where you're at. Since you're talking about chemicals, make sure you mention why chemicals are safe because they have pre-harvest intervals, and how chemicals are not in your t-shirts. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <clears throat> proceed. No, uh, that's not going to affect it at all. I mean, Roundup. I mean, it's just killing weeds, and it won't even hardly kill weeds anymore. So the weeds are so resistant to it. When did Roundup back up? So we started planting cotton about '95. Did they not have Roundup cotton back then? No. Well, back then, when we first got okay, when we first got into cotton was '95, and there was hardly any cotton in Kansas. Dad partnered with Paul Rourke from Kiowa, and he owned the dealership down there because I'd never even seen a stripper before. So. Paul got his hands on a stripper. He owned the John Deere dealership? Yeah, I haven't seen it. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. In Kiowa. Anyhow, they bought an old gin in Sterling, Kansas, which was very primitive. Planted like 10 circles of cotton. Hmm. We got a six-row cotton stripper. Didn't have reversers on it. We didn't have cotton, but we'd hired Slave labor to chop down the weeds. Slave labor, I'll just say. Me. You didn't chop that. Yes, I did. Me and Jen and like... 10 other like 10 year olds had machetes and clippers i remember on the south 80 yes in the middle of july that's why i'm asking about roundup cotton oh, go ahead such a poor child okay anyhow we finally got a strip engine i think it was april when we got done. i remember on my thanksgiving break ginning because i stood up where they made the bales and we had to push it off we did everything ourselves right it was mostly much. us in the yeah. gin i hauled the finished bales to out to oklahoma where the warehouse was when we got done with it i don't know when they came out around a pretty cotton probably about 99 i would say Mm-hmm. Um, which helped a lot. Then going back to the about July, you know, you're still fixing it. Then once it, once you think it's going to freeze, you want to put bull opener and defoliant on. Bull opener is, it's epithon, and your bull's got little lesions in them. You know, usually four bulls or four uh, little sections to a yeah. bull, times five, and there's lesions on there. So what epithon does is it weakens the lesions there. When the plant takes it in, it makes them lesions, like, Oops. weaken, and they'll break it loose where the cotton oh. will come out. And then you put defoliant on, which it defoliates the plant. Makes all the leaves fall off, everything. Cause you don't want any more trash on it because when you're running through it with a stripper, you're taking all that stuff off the plant and then you gotta clean it. So the least amount you got on there, the better off you are. Usually we try to put it on towards the very first part of October into September, depending on, you want it on a week before the freeze can. And it's usually 10 days to two weeks after you put that on, you can start harvesting it. Or once it freezes, it pretty much kills the plant and you can start. So obviously, depending on the year, if you use much in irrigation or not. Sandy, sandy soil, like sandy soil. You know, I mean, the better the soil, the better it's going to do, well, yeah. really, you know. But, I mean, it, it don't take a whole lot of water, depending on the year. In our situation where we're, you know, we've got a lot of water, but we're limited what we can actually pump. It helps for a rotation in there, build your water back up and everything. That's helped a lot of local farmers, you know, planting cotton as a rotation to where, you know, they don't go over other water. You just confused a lot of people probably by talking about water. Every um, district G- has a G- water office. We we're don't need a single one. Okay, we're in the Ogallala Aquifer. And so you have to report basically how much water you use a year because everything has a water meter on it. So for those of you, oh my gosh, you guys are using too much water. It is very heavily regulated and you have to report before March 1st, March 30th, March 1st, March 1st of every year on every system that you have your water use and you're limited to so many acre feet, which is a confusing calculation. Don't even try to explain it. An acre, okay, well, I'll just put it Or do. Way. Most 
decent wells, you can get 190 to 200 acre feet, which is actually 18 inches a year you can pump on. So that gives you a decent. Well, that was easier than I thought. You're limited to that. They do have a deal in uh, RGMD to where you can bank water. So if you don't use all your water one year, you're allowed to bank 25% of what you did not use. So if you plant cotton one year and use 100 acre feet, you still didn't use a, another 100 acre feet. So you can bank 25 acre feet. So if you get into a deal to where you have corn on one year and you don't have enough water, you can pull that back out of the bank. So that's helped a lot of farmers around here. You talked very nicely about that. I forgot where I was. On cotton, it's like a little tree pretty tough. Usually after you harvest it, you got to go in there and mow it or flail it because you cannot disc it up. I've tried it. It's like a little tree. So you go out there and mow it or flail it about eight inches tall for your next crop because it's it's pretty hard on wiring and stuff like that. Well, so tell me a typical crop rotation with cotton, cotton corn, cotton corn or corn will do really well after cotton. Cotton is a, it's got a pretty good tap on it. It'll go down quite a ways and it breaks up the soil there. So it breaks up your farm pan and stuff. So corn does really good after cotton. Um, there's not much trash on the ground when you're done. It's just pretty much little sticks sticking up, you know. So if you got sandy soil, we plant usually a cover crop, oats, rye, something like that, just to keep it from blowing. What pests besides thrips when it's first growing? Is there bull weevils we don't have here yet? Think bugs. And uh, what they do is they got a little, I want to call it pointy sucky thing. (laughs) Well, a little probe deal that sticks into the cotton bowl and they'll suck it out and then they'll run that section of cotton. Mm -hmm. So you want to kill them. Other than that, I mean, you know. Deer. Or BT and all that stuff, you know. So Tell them what BT means. BT. BT. Mm -hmm. Oh, Jeff doesn't know what BT means. It's basically like BT corn, you know, when your corn were... Uh, earworm or whatever eats so much of it, it screws up their digestive system and it can't digest it, so it, it'll kill. You gotcha. know, it's kind of its own type of deal. And it's starting to wear off, so we're getting more pest immune to it and stuff like that. So, so we need something else. Yeah. Okay, so that gives you guys an idea as far as southern Kansas. So it's planted around May 10th-ish, depending on, obviously all this depends on the weather. You take care of it during the summer, spraying it to pix it, because otherwise it would grow like 10 foot tall. I mean, well, they do have a cotton plant down in Florida that is over 20 foot tall. Why would you do that? Want to see what it, do. it will keep growing. The only thing a cotton plant thinks is as long as it can reproduce itself. As long as it makes yeah. one bowl, it's good to go. So yeah. it will just keep growing summer depending on the weather spray it check it for bugs do all the normal stuff obviously herbicides and then we harvest around like late october november yeah we usually start oh, around 25th october we'll either start on our own or i got a big customer south of Crankways. you know we'll start on his or just you know it, a lot of people will try cotton and they'll switch to something else so i've got probably at times there could be five to ten guys around here that cotton strips so it just you just try to fit it in. Of course, the days are short, humidity and all this and that, and it, it takes a long time. You're running eight rows. It's not the speediest thing in the world. How do you know when it's ready to strip? When most of your leaves are fall off, fell off, you want it dry. Usually you go pull a bowl out and there's seeds inside. Stick them in your mouth, sunflower seed, they pop. You're usually pretty good to go. The bowl holes on the outside, you want them kind of crunchy, you know. It's just kind of like wheat, you know. You want don't want it down. Usually, and you want to run, we usually stop at 13% moisture. We don't run over 13% moisture because when you're stripping, all that stuff's going in the bale. Yeah, you're cleaning it to some extent. But it's tight in the bale. So what would happen if it was too wet and it was tight in the bale? It would mold? Could It could get hot. I've had that happen in 18 when we had a really, really wet. The drum, you can strip it. The more leaves and the more trash it can get out of the gym. Mm-hmm. So you don't want to be stripping it too wet. Flame fires. I mean, why fires happen? Static electricity and the spinning. Static electricity, you got cotton for one. You got lint blowing around. You got trash blowing around. You got, after it comes up through the header, right after it gets past the header, you got a big blower that blows it up in the top. So you got a lot of wind blowing at it. You go through a cleaner, then it pushes it into the uh, accumulator, you know, and you've got wind that pushes it into the accumulator. So with that, and then you got a baler right beside that or behind that. Which are known for fires anyway. Yeah, I mean. So you could get a rock in there, right? Get a rock, and it's everywhere from, you know, a little stick. We'll get caught in your saw. 
just sitting there rubbing on it, start a fire. Anything, any little piece, because you're running right on the ground. You pick up, I've picked up the end of a coffee can that was rotted out and rusted out that got caught in my saw and started a fire. So for that reason, well, we have you have fire suppression systems. Fire suppression systems, yes. but you also have a fire truck. Well, we've got a little fire skid on the service. on the service truck. Your main thing is keep it clean. There's times we'll stop in the middle of the day if there ain't much wind at all to blow the cotton off the stripper. And the cleaner you keep them, the better they run. There's not cotton in between the baler going shut, sensors, everything. I mean, the cleaner you keep them, the better they run, the less fires you're going to have. It's just general maintenance. About how many acres can you do with one stripper in a day? Okay, wait. I forgot. Uh, two CS690s. Yes. John Deere. Uh, for those who don't know, John Deere is the only company that makes cotton strippers and pickers. Yeah, Case used to have it. Oh, they made a half loaf, you might say. But I basket. Deers pretty much had the market. Back in the day, Alice Chalmers had them, you know, and Case had some. So we have two, two, three. Three CS690s. Kind of just basically tell them how that works from the front to the back. First, the header. What's on the header? How many rows? Eight? We have eight. We're 30 inch rows up here. You That's get down there south of Amarillo a ways, they switch to 40 because they don't have the moisture. 40 inch rows, 12 rows too. In our operation, we do eight We plant with 24 row planter, so it works out. One row unit takes one row. And you got two rollers going this way. They're about probably about that big around. And on them you got a brush. How and a big, bat how alternate. big diameter? They can't see you sometimes. Five inches. Okay. Six inches. That's all you have to say. Go. Okay. Anyhow, you got a brush and a bat on there. There's three brushes and three bats. Brushes are about two inches long. And when they're going opposite, you know, they're pulling up, in other words. So when you're going down the rail, the plant goes in between them and the brushes and bats are going pulling the cotton up off there. So it'll pull all that stuff up. And when they roll around on the outside, there's a little auger that pulls it up to the main head. You're taking your bowls and everything in there. So, so all that's left is a stick standing up in the field. The branches, you try to leave your branches on there so you don't have to clean all that stuff. And a big thing on that, you want to watch. You can set your brushes and backs. You can set the, the width of them because you do not want bark. And what bark is, if you can imagine taking your fingernail on the side of a stock and raking it, that's bark. You don't want them too close together. You'll pull that bark off of there, and you cannot get bark off of the gin. They will dock the heck out of you when the cotton comes in. Anyhow, comes up in there into the cross auger on your header, pushes it all to the middle, called the feeder house, and then uh, it blows it up to the top behind the cab, comes up behind the cab, and then it dumps it into a cleaner. You got two saws and a cleaner on a CS690. CS770s. They have three saws. saws. Anyhow, your saws coming around, it's like a like a con or a cylinder and a concave. Your cylinder would be the saws, and it's running at 740 RPM, you know, something like that. And then when it's running, it's grabbing that cotton and bowls and stuff and rolling it down. And on the front of this big drum, which is the saws, there's a bar set about three quarters of an inch away from that drum. And when that saw comes down, it hits that, uh, the cotton will hit that bar, or the bulls will hit that bar, and the saws will actually pull that cotton out of the bull, and the bull will fall off the front down into the bird trail. And the saws are like sharp teeth, sharp. very sharp. And they're around the, so they're just teeth and they're digging out the cotton. But they're really sharp. You got, I think there's 200 per drum. You screw on five screws per saw. How often do you replace those? Every year. <clears throat> yep. We replace them. Or when they break, we replace them in the field. That's another thing that'll start fire. One of them breaks, flips off, or whatever, creates a spark. Okay. Anyhow, once it gets through there on this drum, so all the cotton is pulled on this drum with saws. On the back side of it, there's a, another big drum with 12 brushes, your docker brushes. And they'll go, it'll go the opposite way and flick that cotton off of that drum. And there's blowers underneath it that blow it up the clean cotton into the accumulator. Accumulator is like a big basket, and it'll set in there. And then tell them where the rest of the stuff goes. The, the trash and stuff will fall down underneath the saws, and there's an auger, and there's two chutes right underneath the middle of the stripper, and it just drops there in a pile. There's not a whole lot of trash. I mean, it's nothing. It might be a two, three-inch tall little pile of trail behind you. Yeah, so if you guys have ever been in a cotton field that's been stripped, you see all those tall cotton stalks, and you'll see a line of trash. That's what came out of the yeah, auger.
You get it in an accumulator. The reason it goes into the accumulator is on the newer, on the CS690s, you don't have to stop. When it's making a bale, you don't have to stop. So you got to have a place for the cotton to go while you're bailing and wrapping. Unless you're in really good cotton. Yeah. So in other words, you get it in this big old pile or big old accumulator here. It's dumping it in there. In the bottom, there's uh, feed rollers. And in the very bottom of that, there's a big old wide belt that rolls the cotton to the baler. Puts the cotton to the baler underneath, just like when you're baling hay. It knows it's got sensors in it. When it gets full, it'll automatically kick the baler on and the feed rolls and the feed belt on and automatically pull that cotton out of the accumulator. And it'll automatically kick it off when it goes down or gets empty. And you can see all this? Yeah, you can watch all this from your monitor. And I've got cameras in mine where you can see it. So while you're baling this, you know, and stripping and it keeps going. And it bail, I mean, I got mine kicking off at about 93 inches. When your bail gets to 93 inches big, it'll wrap. So while you're wrapping there, you can still keep moving while it's filling the accumulator. So you don't have to stop. Unless it's some really, really good cotton, you got to slow down because your accumulator will get full before you get the bale kicked out. So while you're, when you wrap, you got this, they're pre-cut, a roll of wrap, weighs about 200 pounds. It has 24 portions in it. So it'll do 24 bales. It'll roll that around. So the first piece will go on and then the one whole length. Yeah. It goes on. And then there's like a, if you can imagine like a piece of saran wrap, like when you, when you pull something tight over a bowl, it stretches it and pulls it and sucks it tight. Mm -hmm. It'll pull it on the cotton like that and suck it tight. And then your outside, they're 69 foot a piece. And then on the outside, you know, it's a tougher layer. And then you got about 10 inches of glue. It's already pre-done. And the way you can have glue on there and not get stuck to the next wrap is mm -hmm. there's a, it's called a Z-lock. You got glue right here. And you got another piece, just like you're sticking on a sticker or whatever. It's setting over it. Mm -hmm. And when it pulls apart. Oh, like it a kinda, sticker. It pulls okay. it like that, pulls it apart, and then your glue is exposed, and then it seals it on there. Okay. What about the stickers? Does it put the sticker on? No. The oh. sticker, you got an RFID code or a tag, four of them, on a piece of wrap. And there's a reader when it goes by on the cotton stripper. So it knows when to, okay, you're wrapping your bale, and it's got to know when to slow down to pull that saran part on. So it will actually read that deal, know to slow down the baler, pull it tighter, and then speed back up and put it on. But once it gets it all wrapped sealed. We have harvest ID on ours, so it will tell us how much that bale weighed, what the moisture that bale was, the actual RFID serial number on that bale, and keep it all stored up in a, you know, on your JD link. Yeah. Anyway, when you get that done, uh, you have to manually kick the bale out. So if something happens, they'll say, hey, your wrap didn't work or whatever, you know, don't kick the bale out. So you kick the bale out. And it'll come up and it'll get at least 25 foot tall. So you got to watch where you are on the power line. It'll kick the bale out. And then you got your handler back there and it'll drop it on the handler. And then once you get the door shut, it will weigh the bale. It just goes off a pressure sensor in the hydraulics and it weighs that bale. It's mm -hmm. pretty accurate. And then you can carry that bale till you have to make another one. So you can get to the end of the field, drop the bale there, whatever works. So the reason that when you guys go by fields, if you see a... Are you chewing while we're doing this? I mean, um, the reason that you'll see bales at the ends of the field is because obviously when you're picking up these bales, it's a little easier just to do it at each end than drive all through the field, all through the middle of the field. Okay, so how much does the average bale weigh? The CS690s, you know, you'll average anywhere, I'd say the average is 4,500 pounds. The uh, CS770s, the newer ones, same size bale, but they've got it figured out or whatever where it makes it tighter. So they're a little bit heavier. You know, you're paying $990 for a roll of rat that does 24 bales. That's what I was going to ask. You want to get as fishing as you possibly can. Do you buy wrap by the truckload? Buy by the truckload. You get nine rolls on a And you figure out that wrap cost into how you charge farmers. Yes. Usually it's about three cents a pound just to pay for the here we have Arctic wrap from Tama, John Deere, Tama. We had trouble the first year in 17. I had a lot of trouble. It wasn't sticking. And where us being this far north, they really never had any trouble with it when we're colder. They call it Arctic wrap. So what we get in Kansas up here is Arctic wrap. It's got a different glue deal on it. And it'll work in cold weather. And they've modified that a lot. And we hardly have 
any trouble with it now and it, it works really good after you drop the bales obviously you can't load these bales with like a normal spear that you use on a tractor so we use high loaders with you make the spears or? it might be able to pick up that much weight your tractor or whatever but you need to realize these things are eight foot wide so you've got that much leverage sticking out there eight foot for the weight of Bouncing. it so it, it's very hard to pick them up you got to be careful if sometimes when you pick them up you know you don't want that wrap to break because then you got a 4500 pound file of a cotton yeah we pick them with high loaders we just use uh, pallet forks really heavy duty pallet forks and sharpen them and we poke them there's different ways there's guys got three points on the tractors that go underneath the, the bale and the, it squeezes like that and they pick them up from the bottom then you still got to get them like a simple boy we haul eight bales on 53 foot and you're legal, you know, you're only eight foot wide. Again, we live in southern Kansas, and so we choose to take our cotton down to Spearman, Texas. Basically from, well, the months of December, January, February, all you guys do is make a trip back and forth to Spearman with three, two, three trucks every day. You get to Spearman, you unload, they unload the bales. The bales, long story short, go through the gin. Where does the different parts of the cotton go to at the gin? First, when you come in, the new ones have readers, so they can actually read every one of them RFID tags on those bales. And then you just go out there and they'll tell you where to put, like, and they know them are all yours for that field. Then when they get ready to gin it, they'll go out and pick them up, run them through the gin, and then they come out in the 500-pound bales, square bales. Each bale will have two uh, samples pulled out of it, and they send them off to the classification deals that in, uh, I think, Lubbock, Texas, and that'll get your classification, you know, your strength, your mic, all that other stuff on how good your cotton is. The grade. Yeah, your grade. All the seed comes out and it goes into a shed that's basically like this, and it goes clear down to the ground. It just looks like a roof, but it's very tall, and that seed just drops down and out on a pile, like a big, long corn pile, but it's got a shed over it. They sell the seed, very high in protein, dairies. Um, like, right this year, we're probably getting $250 a ton for it. So that will pretty much pay for your ginning charges. Right, so you'll get a check that says, like, seed credit, and that'll offset what the gin charges you to process that bale. And then there's also a big pile of trash. Trash, burst, shells. What do they do with that? Some people, like when I was down in Georgia, they'll spread the fields. It's good cover, you know, mm-hmm. like oh, they took trees out and stuff like that. Oh, kind of like mulch. Yeah, but you need to consider this. You're getting everybody else's weed seed, all this and that, you know, and you scatter that all out on your field. Yeah. And you can choose to be in the pool. There's so many ways. You can be in the pool, which they kind of market for you. You can sell it through Procot, Cargill, PCCA, all different kind of things. It's kind of complicated if you don't understand it. As far as custom harvesting, that's what's a little bit different with cotton too, because, and you'll have to tell them how it works, but sometimes uh, the farmer will pay you directly or the gin pays you for the farmer. It's not like grain harvest wow. where the farmer is the only one that pays you. Usually the gin, right. which was a good thing. You know, you knew you were going to get paid. Yeah, you don't have to do like harvest liens against yeah. their crop because the yeah. gin would pay you. That's the kind of nice thing. You always tell the gin, hey, before you sell their cotton, or if, when you do sell their cotton and just give them a check, you tell me first. If the producer wants to pay me, I want to make sure that his cotton ain't all gone, unless I know. And most of my customers, I never have to worry. I They're wonder, like, yeah, I wonder why elevators don't do that with like grain. Okay, so then that brings up the question, how, as far as cotton, because wheat, with wheat, when you charge people, you do like 330s or 333s, and grain harvesters will know what I mean. Forage, you do it by the ton. How do you charge farmers for custom cotton work? Pound after or before it's ginned? Okay, the pounds that they get to sell Okay, so those square bale pounds, basically. This many pounds of lint to sell. So off of their lint pounds, after it's all cleaned and everything, what they get to sell is what they pay me off of. Okay. Or like last year and the year before, it was you know we had really bad cops, so I got the minimum. Yeah. Because then things use a lot of fuel. It, it's a lot. Yeah. Uh, There's a minimum in there. How much fuel do you, does a stripper use a day? One stripper. Well, they're over 500 horses, and it's mostly hydraulic power, and they'll use almost two gallon an acre. Two gallon an acre. Yes. Okay. They've got 300 some odd gallon tanks on them. And so 
They need them. All right. They're, they're on that charging deal down in like Lubbock, Texas. You're pretty flat. You can run fast. You get up here, you got terraces, washouts, stuff like that. Irrigation so, trucks. Yeah. We charge a little bit more than they do down there because it's just, you, you can't get near as much done for one. We got humidity down there. You usually don't have much humidity. I don't like running over 50% humidity. As you can imagine, a cotton being a dry thing or whatever, when you get humidity on that, it's just like, it just makes it so tough and you can't run. Yeah. And it turns it wet. And I mean, it just, you just can't run. You don't have the hours in a day that they do down there to run. Okay. How do you find employees now versus back? How do we do it back in the day? Back in the day, we had basket machines. You pretty much filled a big basket and then you had a bull buggy, which is like, like a grain You stopped, dumped it in there, and then they took that bull buggy to a big module boom. Big old long thing with a, a tamper that made a big old long module, about 40 foot long, I think. And they sit there and pack that in this big old module. So you needed basically the same as a grain harvester. You needed a combiner, stripper driver. You needed a grain carter, bull buggy driver. You needed what would be like a truck driver, a module builder. Packer. And then when you're done with that, you had to tarp all them. Yeah. The wind, you know, you couldn't run in a very high wind. Because you can't dump in the wind, then that cotton will all blow away when you dump your bull buggy or your stripper. Yeah. And then you're trying to tarp a big old 40 foot tarp. It's just, and then you had to have a tractor for each module builder, a tractor for each bull buggy. So Because they're know, run by hydraulics. Yeah. And you just got a whole bunch of equipment and it was a lot slower. And then only certain trucks go pick a module truck and go pick it up. Um, conveyor on the bottom of the on the floor pick it up the bailer machines saved a lot of labor and a lot of time but they're very expensive how much is a let's say brand new a new cs 770 with like a 12 row head you're going to be looking at 950,000. i thought they were more than that nope oh. that's not the other day oh not that i want one yeah <laughs> then why jack Just they're only good. about a million per machine guys yeah. Yeah, but you got to think you buy a module builder, a tractor, a bull buggy, another tractor for the bull buggy. You know, you had a lot more equipment. You needed a lot more people back then, which is lucky because you and Kurt were younger and your friends would help. Whereas nowadays, how'd you find nobody? <laughs> Same, bro. What, uh, where'd you find the only employee you have right now? He went to school with my brother and he just full-time, full-time help. Hopefully our kids will get slave labor. Well, and we've kind of talked about this before. So I was listening. This was from like four years ago. A custom harvester was a guest on a other like farm or something podcast. He was talking about finding help. And the hardest thing is, you know, finding customers and paying for the equipment. That's not how it is now. I don't know if COVID really affected it or what, but absolutely the number one issue in the custom harvesting industry is finding labor because no one wants to leave home for six, seven, eight, nine months out of the year and then have no guaranteed job the rest of the time. Who wants to leave home from like May to November? And then, you know, if you don't have a girlfriend or a family or boyfriend, husband, kids, whatever, it's fine. But that's definitely the number one issue is, is labor. That and the long hours too. I mean, you yeah. know, these guys. Manual labor. You know, these tractors got guidance and combines got guidance and air conditioners and everything on them, but they just don't want to put in the time and the effort and nothing. So I'll leave it at that. Yeah, we're going to get on a rant. All right. So we talked about how much they cost and we talked about how a cotton stripper how the cotton moves through the piece of equipment. How do you explain the size of it? Because not a lot of people understand how big these machines actually are. Give me some dimensions. They're very tall. In harvest mode, they're probably at least 13, 13 and a half foot tall. They're without a bale in them. They're 68,000 pounds. Which we rode them everywhere. We yeah. don't go far. How? What's the farthest away that you rode it? An hour, hour and a half? 17. <laughs> but you put them in, you can fold them all down into transportation so it's a little bit lower you don't find much are they four wheel drive yes so they're big and expensive all right i think that's it guys thanks, thanks. <laughs> all right everybody stay tuned we'll come up with a segment moving monday find out where everybody is
Okay, we've got our first segment coming up, everybody. Moving Monday. Every other Monday before the podcast posts, we put this post on our Facebook page just to check in with all of our members and see where they are currently custom harvesting at. In general, right now, harvest is wrapping up. So grain harvest up north is wrapping up. Forage harvest is for the most part done. Cotton harvest is wrapping up in Texas and Oklahoma. And we're getting a little bit closer here in Kansas. I would say we're about 30-40% done. So let's check in with everyone that commented on our post. First, we have Van Driesten Harvesting. They are in Lemoore, North Dakota, finishing up corn and in their final stretch. Open A Lazy E from Colorado. They are still in Ulysses, Kansas and just finished today. Davis Custom Harvesting is leaving Anton, Colorado, headed home. Sounds like they've just wrapped up as well. New Miller Harvesting is still out there rolling. They have combines in Lemon, South Dakota, West Hope, and Bowden, North Dakota on corn. They also got going on beans again in Finley, North Dakota. Now, keep in mind, though, like I mentioned in a couple past podcasts, they have had a lot of moisture up north, so it's dragging on. Which, Debach Harvesting is in North Dakota, cutting canola in Durham. Yes, Durham still in November. So that kind of proves that point. They've got a lot of moisture still trying to wrap things up. Fraze Brothers is back home in Kansas. They just have to make a couple more trips out west to pick up the last of their equipment. Skimpers are finishing up in Kansas and Nebraska. Looking forward to the final stretch. CNK Harvesting is finishing up as well in Blackwell, Oklahoma. ATB Harvesting is moving to South Dakota to pick some sunflowers. Vanderkenters are a forage crew from up north in Wisconsin. They are combining in Denmark, Wisconsin, and also pumping manure this time of year. So that's a little catch up with a lot of our members. If you guys are interested, if you guys are a member of the U.S. Custom Harvesters and you want to keep us up to date, just make sure you comment on that post every other Monday for Moving Monday. I know that obviously, as you just heard, the harvest season is pretty much about to end. So we're going to have to come up with a different a different segment. I'll see what I can find out for you guys. Next, we are going to have yet another cotton harvester to interview. He is from South Texas and we're going to get going, but I will warn you guys on this interview, we basically got through most of it, but then he lost signal. So if it ends a little bit abruptly, that would be why. Just wanted to explain. So let's get going with our second interview of a cotton harvester. All right, guys. So we are here with Brian Zimmerman, a grain and cotton harvester from South Texas. Brian is actually, I feel really bad for doing this to him, but he's actually kind of on a vacation in New Mexico right now, but I am bugging him while they're all charging their phones. So Brian, what did I miss? Introduce yourself, where you're from exactly, and then start telling us how you got started custom harvesting. Okay. Yep. Brian Zimmerman. We're Bishop, Texas, where we're at. Born into it. I've been doing it my whole life. Started out working for dad and grandpa when we were younger teenagers and then uh, started buying equipment and getting paid when we were 15 my brother and I he got out of it pretty quick he didn't stay into it but I did kept going do you just have one brother I do yep just one okay he's a John Deere salesman we all uh, love so salesmen, he, he's right? absolutely uh <laughs> So he stayed in the ag industry at least, and he can yeah. get you guys some good deals. So it's a win-win, really. Yeah. Tell me about your current operation, how that works, how you find employees. If you have employees, tell me a little bit about your family and all that good stuff. Yeah, on the employee situation, you know, we, we quit hiring employees two years ago. Just too complicated. Everybody's got the employee situation. And started utilizing the kids more, letting them do, uh, well, driving everything, really. Started the homeschool deal so they could stay with us and work. But we do hire one guy, our entomologist that checks our cotton and watches our Milo at home. He goes <laughs> with us when we go pick cotton because we have too many pickers to drive. So we got to have one driver. He doesn't They're do They're so anything. cheap. Yeah. They're right? so cheap. Why not buy more, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Give me your kids' ages. Please. Uh, the twins are four, 15, and Wesson is 13. Wesson, you're 13, right? He's 13. 13. He's fixing to be 14, yeah. He's 13. I should know that. And Waylon? Uh, and Waylon, you... Waylon and Wyatt are 15. They're the twins. They're 15. How old's your youngest? And Whitley is 11. 11. 12. Whitley. 11. She's 11. This is a that. typical dad conversation hey, <laughs> it, We don't know that stuff. Is it important? Well... He, Okay, so there. Tell me, ten years old does it matter? <laughs> no, it really doesn't. <laughs> so they all probably started out driving a pickup and then tractor and really. on and on, right? Yeah. Uh, no, they got thrown in the equipment right away. 
Okay. You just went for it. I went for it. There you go. It's easy to drive now. Just push buttons. You know what? That's really true. It's funny you mentioned that because when I need to drive a tractor, I tell them I want the one that I get to shift. (laughs) I don't want what is it, IVT or whatever? I don't want that one. I don't want that one. It's great. It can listen to my music on Bluetooth and all that, but nope. I'll take a uh, 4960 or something. Oh, there you go. Any day. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, the kids were kind of disappointed. Uh, what was that, three years ago, I think? We uh, parked our 4840 that we ran on our green cart for, oh gosh, uh, over 20 years. The combines got bigger and faster and more of them, and it just wouldn't keep up. So we had to get a bigger traction. They weren't happy. Still in the barn. So, oh my gosh, I bet if you sold that thing, you'd get a pretty darn good price for it, though, now. Yeah, yeah, we got several old ones, and yeah, it's kind of like, man, we really should sell them. But I bought yeah. that tractor when I was 16 years old. Yeah. My first one, I don't know. Yeah, I can't get rid of that one. Though. Yeah, 40, 40 and a forty twenty right away. Bought both of those. A forty twenty with a cap? No, it's without. There you go. We awesome. ran that on our module builder. The forty eight forty and the forty twenty were for the module builders. That's what I was gonna ask because we had a forty six thirty and then a forty nine sixty on our module builders. So when did the kids start homeschooling? Have they always been homeschooled, or when they kind of got old enough to do equipment, did you kind of take them? and do homeschooling it was after the covid oh so you recently did it well the following year 2020 and does does sherry handle most of that yeah she does since you don't even know their ages why would we (laughs) i I help out on the important stuff we did a big lesson last night the shop and diesel mechanics classes that's your yeah right we we were going over uh ounces in a gallon and quarts and pints and cups and oh you know yeah I was drilling that in their brain. It's so simple to learn that. Okay, so what time of year down in South Texas are they planting cotton then? Uh, we usually start at the beginning of March and finish up around the 20th of March. Our deadline is the 15th of April to get the cotton planted for insurance purposes. What's the row width on that? Majority of it is 30 or a quarter of it, probably 40s. Is there much irrigation in South Texas then nope. during the summer? All dry No? Okay. So there's enough moisture there during the summer to get it going. Sometimes, yes. On a normal to good year, yeah. You said you have an entomologist, so he kind of tells you when to spray. Yeah. Same thing forever, so we kind of know also. What do you usually spray for down there? What pests do you have? Fleas and aphids. Stink bugs can get in there. Do you have boll weevils down there? We're eradicated, but we are in the monitoring stage. It's still monitored. Two years ago, they did a blanket application and sprayed every acre in our area, which was kind of shocking. I hadn't done that in a long time. We're okay, but the valley is not eradicated because of Mexico. You know, they keep coming. So they do work their way in our area every once in a while. They sprayed two years ago. They thought there was too many, so they sprayed it okay. all. But yeah, it, it's we, we don't see them. Tell us, I'm assuming... This might be a dumb question, but we have stripper cotton up here. Is it two totally different, like even seeds, planter or picked and stripped? Because it's obviously, obviously different. Yeah, the variety, we have more of a longer season. Uh, The cotton is loose in the burr. It's not, the burrs really open up and it's a lot looser. So the picker can grab the lint a lot easier. Ours isn't tight, kind of like a stripper cotton. That's kind of the, that's pretty much the difference now. Okay. And what time do you guys start harvest and where, and just kind of tell me your, as far as cotton. On the cotton side, we can start as early as July 20th, August 1st, usually at home. And that'll take us, uh, it could be two weeks to a month, depending on the rain situation. Yeah. The Gulf is really hot that time of the year and we get the sea breeze showers and then we get the tropical depression and waves that move in within a day. Like we got one this year, fired up in a day and that night it was raining yeah so how far away from home with the pickers do you get we can get as far as uh northeast texas and west texas when there's a crop Uh, we slowly you know work our way up there and that's usually northeast texas and west texas is uh november time frame so you obviously load them up yes all the pickers myself okay uh, doing that a long time do you guys stay in campers then when you go to like far far away or do you stay at hotels we do we we have our own hilton on wheels hey we got a yes It has the vacuum built into the wall. You know, you just flip the deal and sweep it. That's cool. That is, I want that in my house. 
Yeah, so I'm always playing yes. with it. What do you do about meals? Is Sherry always with you guys and yes, the kids? Now, yeah, now that Sherry's, or the kids are with us, Sherry's always with us now. And yeah, she she cooks or we'll cook at the field. We've got a pretty cool grill. We can run it off the pickup. Ooh, cool. She cooks at the trailer, brings it out, or we'll cook at the field. Or, depends on what's going on. Like I told you before, I did just interview my brother and he kind of went through a whole cotton stripper. Can you take us through basically a cotton picker, how it's different basically from the time the cotton hits the front of the header to where, how it goes through the, all the way to make a bale, the spindles on the header and all that. There you it's go. different. You had, you, the picker you had that stuff. going right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> cotton enters the, in the row unit in the front. Well, there's 320 spindles in a row unit. How often certain, do you replace those? It depends Every on what year? you're picking. No, it depends on what you're picking. You know, if you don't pick a lot of dirty cotton, rotten cotton, a lot of leaf, you know, your spindles can last you three years. Pick a lot of cotton that has a lot of dirt in it from the wind blowing, you know, it rain and the wind blows, dirt blows. It gets a lot of uh, dirt in that cotton and that can dull your spindles a lot faster. Like picking in West Texas, we really see that a lot. Makes sense. About three years, they'll go. And we change out dull spindles every year. We don't change all them out. We just pull the dull ones out and put new ones back in. So we're gotcha. all every year changing spindles. It's never ending. But anyways, yeah, the cotton comes in the row unit. The spindles are turning counterclockwise. Yeah, this turning. is what my brother did. Yeah, pretty much. It was like you got it. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what the bats and brushes do. Yeah, but anyway, they're, they're turning yeah. counterclockwise, I think. And they're also going around 90 degrees. They're going around actual counterclockwise. And that oh, I see. cotton, yeah, you, your spindles are vertical. Yeah, I can show you, you know, they're going this way and they're turning. Okay. And then also the drum is going around and around. The drum, there's uh, 16 bars in the front with 20 spindles high. So you got 16 bars with 20, and that's in the front. In the back, there's 12 bars. 20 spindles high and those are turning the, the spindles turn grabs the cotton comes around to the doffer the doffer is going the opposite direction and it knocks the cotton off the spindle all within split second once the spindle goes through the doffer it goes to the moisture pad and the moisture pad has water and soap going through it and it gets the spindle wet again as it goes back around to pick again if it wasn't wet the cotton would stick to it wouldn't come off the doffer have a hard time getting it. It's like having oil on the spindle and the cotton slides off, basically. That makes sense, yeah. And then it goes okay. up into the chute and into the accumulator and then into the baler when the baler runs. And the long black things. There you go, the long black <laughs> so things. I, the way that I tell a picker from a stripper is a picker has the long black things on the front, which are shoots. The air Correct. blows them up. Yeah. But, so a picker has the long black things, a stripper does not. So yep. that's you how I tell them. You get your hair close enough to them, they'll stand up. Their static electricity is pretty neat to play with. Let's see. I think that covers all the questions I had on pickers. I did want to bug you really quick and tell all the listeners that Brian is running for our board of directors for U.S. Custom Harvesters. So we have our annual meeting at our convention that is in Oklahoma City this year in January. And Brian's name will be on that ballot. So as soon as I get a pretty picture of you, I can put that in our monthly magazine and we can get that going. Well, you guys have fun. Thank you for letting me bug you and have a good time with the boys. And I'm sure I will talk to you soon. Thanks, Brian. All right, everybody. The last segment that I have for you is the updates for U.S. Custom Harvesters members. So let's get started. My first update is a reminder to pay your dues before December 31st. If you are a harvester, if you're an associate member, if you are a retired member, go ahead and make sure you go to uschi.com. Click member login at the very top, sign in with your information. There will be a drop down menu that appears on the right that says, What would you like to do? Select memberships. So there you can see all of your memberships for any time you've been a member. That very top one does not say it expires on 12 31 2024. You need to renew those. So on the far right, it will say renew now in blue. Click that button and it will walk you through it. If you are not a member of U.S. Custom Harvesters and you are a cotton forage or grain custom harvester, I hope cotton guys, you liked what you heard today. And if you would like to become a member, again, you can go to uschi.com. At the top right, there will be a blue button that says join. So click that blue button, select regular member. And again, you'll be walked through it. We are having our annual convention January 25th 
through the 27th in Oklahoma City this year. And my trade show floor is full, full. So I'm excited to have a cotton picker. Tama's coming, a couple other cotton wrap companies. There will be plenty for cotton harvesters to check out. We also have speakers. We have an H2A day where you can learn all you can learn about H2A, getting H2A workers and the paperwork that goes along with that. We have entertainment. We have a live auction. We eat all of our meals together. It's a great place to meet a new custom harvester family or just check in and chit chat with your regular custom harvester family if you've been a member for a long time. I can't wait to see everybody there. If you're a member, don't forget to register. Same place you went before to pay those dues, uschi.com. Log in, clicking member login at the very top. And then from that drop down menu, click Harvesters 2024 Convention and you will see where to go from there. We have lots of fun women's and kids events coming up too. So don't forget about that. I do have a couple deadlines for you guys. So if you check any of our social media, make sure you check out the internship posts. If you are in college and you have an ag communications major or anything similar, we would love to have you be an intern at our annual convention that I just spoke about. So check out our social media pages, see what all that entails, and please submit an application. We would love to have you. Basically what those interns do, they will just document the whole convention. They'll walk around and interview everyone that's there from John Deere to Kloss to New Holland. Any company that we have on the trade show floor, they'll get to interview speakers, harvesters, and just find out how a convention works, how event planning works and join us in all of the fun that we have there. So the deadline for that internship is November 26th. Get that application in, check it out right now and get that out put together and submitted to us. The other important deadlines I have coming up are on December 1st. So on December 1st, those badge prices for attending the convention go up. So make sure, again, gotta register now if you don't wanna pay those higher fees. The other two things that are due on December 1st are our Hall of Fame applications and scholarship applications. To find both of those, again, go to uschi.com. Go to About Us and you will find Hall of Fame and scholarships. Make sure on both of those you check out that app very, very carefully as there are very specific things we need. For example, on that scholarship packet, I have to have your ACT test scores. I have to have an official transcript, letters of recommendation. You have to be a child or grandchild of a member of U.S. Custom Harvesters. So lots of things to check out there. Make sure that is submitted and in my hands in the office by December 1st. The other thing I talked about was the Hall of Fame nomination. So that nomination form again is online. All of that bio, pictures, everything has to be put together in a nice pretty folder and in my hands again by December 1st so that the board can get those checked out and decide who's going into our Hall of Fame. And if you're curious about that Hall of Fame, go to that same place and it will list all of the members of our Hall of Fame pictures by Bios, lots of cool stuff there. You can also go to our YouTube page and check out videos from the most recent years as well. I believe, guys, I think that's all I got. Register for the convention, pay dues, Hall of Fame and scholarship, and internship stuff. If you are wanting to become a member, please do. Now is the time. So we are ready to roll for January and you can get going to that convention. Thank you so much to Brian and Jeff today for joining me, letting me take some time out of their day. I hope all of you that are near in the end of your harvest stay safe out there. Hope you get the great weather to finish up harvest. And for all of y'all that are starting and cotton harvest. Again, stay safe out there. Hope the cotton's going great for you. Make sure you check out Custom Harvest Hype every other Wednesday. It is posted, released on Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you also want to watch the interviews, please go to our podcast tab on YouTube. Just search for U.S. Custom Harvesters official YouTube page. Every other Wednesday, guys, these come out. Y'all stay safe. Have a good couple of weeks.